Old-Fashioned Murder and Mayhem, A Murder in Baby Bohemia, Gordon Pyrie, 1925. 16-year-old Margaret Pyrie had spent the weekend of November 29, 1925 with friends and had returned home late Sunday evening. Entering the Bronx, New York apartment she shared with her 18-year-old brother Gordon, she found he was not home. Nevertheless, she entered her bedroom to put away her suitcase when she noticed something odd on the floor beneath her bed. Upon closer inspection, she realized that a man's bare feet were sticking out from under the bed. Margaret began screaming hysterically and was so overcome with terror that her body was literally paralyzed with fear. Soon, her elder sister and brother-in-law who lived in the apartment above her came bursting through the door. To the utter horror of all, they realized the body under the bed was that of a dead man, and worse, that of a beloved family friend. Welcome to another episode of Old Fashioned Murder and Mayhem. I am your host, Mindy Hudson, bringing you stories of murder and scandal with a twist of genealogy. The tragic tale of a murder in baby Bohemia, Gordon Pyrie, 1925, is a particularly sad one. Details are graphic, and listener discretion is advised. William Stedman Pyrie was born about 1878 in Aberdeen, Scotland. He came to the U.S. in 1886 with his mother and siblings, settling in the Bronx, New York. He worked as a stonecutter and married Mary Helen Stryken, whose family immigrated from Scotland in 1882. Three children were born to this marriage, Elizabeth, Bessie, Gordon, Jay, and Margaret. By 1910, the family moved to 141st Street in the Bronx, New York. A few blocks away, on St. Anne Avenue, lived the family of George F. Nye Sr., a city fireman. His wife, the former Mary Josephine Blessing, and he had four boys, Edwin, George Jr., Thomas, and John. In the decade of the 1920s, the Bronx was experiencing an upsurge in population growth. Electrically charged railroad lines leading to New York City crisscrossed the streets and rows of townhouses and apartments sprang up as families desiring suburban living flocked into the desirable neighborhoods. Situated between St. Anne Avenue and 141st Street was the sprawling park of St. Mary's, where no doubt the children of the Pyrie and Nye families met and formed friendships particularly George Nye Jr. and Gordon Pyrie, who were about the same age. They played together in the park, were dinner guests at each other's houses, and even stayed overnight from time to time. No doubt Gordon comforted his friend when April 1921, George's six-year-old brother wandered out of the house and was electrocuted to death on the New Haven Rail, one of many that ran through the city streets. And George likely returned the favor when in 1924, his teenage buddy Gordon mourned the loss of his father William, who had been ailing from tuberculosis. 
To make matters worse, Mary Pirie also had tuberculosis, and her condition was deteriorating quickly. Around that time, Gordon moved with his mother and younger sister into an apartment in the same building where his older sister, Elizabeth, called Bessie, lived with her husband, Donald Ferguson, on 144th Street. After his retirement from the fire station, George Nye Sr. also moved his family into an apartment on the same street. When Mary Pirie's tuberculosis worsened and she had to be treated at the sanitarium, 19-year-old Gordon and 16-year-old Margaret were left alone in the apartment. However, Bessie did her best to keep an eye out for her siblings. Even so, it was the Roaring Twenties, and temptation waited around every bend, especially for unsupervised teens. At 18, George Nye was kept on a tighter rein, since he still lived at home with both parents. Nevertheless, as teenagers do, he managed to slip away to join his social group, which, along with soda shop trips and movies, also managed to visit pool halls and speakeasy clubs. Gordon Pyrie kept an assortment of wines and hard liquor hidden in his kitchen cupboard, which he doled out to the flapper gals and good-time buddies who visited. Their lifestyle was dubbed Baby Bohemia by the press of the time. An article in the New York Daily Advocate, December 1925, called the lifestyle of these teens Baby Bohemia that incongruous land in which half-grown boys and girls seek to keep the pace of seasoned steppers, end quote. Pyrie and Nye had talked a lot about taking a trip to Florida. It was an unlikely idea for Pyrie. With the loss of his father and his ailing mother, the boy had no money. However, George talked the matter over with his father, who agreed to give his son a hundred dollars to make the trip, This was a remarkable sum of money, and George must have been thrilled to share this with Gordon, who would have understood it would be enough for both boys to make the trip. Money was definitely a sore point with Pyrie. He gave the illusion of being free and loose since he had access to a house without parental supervision and was able to come and go as he pleased. But he lacked money. Nye Jr. had the money. Not only did his father provide him with what seemed a fortune to Pyrie, but Nye also worked odd jobs and made money he was able to shower on the cute girls he dated. In 1925, Pyrie's attention was set on a pretty young girl named Emily Violet Schmidt, 16. On Saturday, November 29th, a group of young folks, including Pyrie, Schmidt, Nye, and Edna Johnson, 16, spent an evening at a party at Riverside Drive drinking and dancing. It had been arranged before that Nye was to spend the night at Pyrie's apartment since Pyrie's younger sister Margaret was away for the weekend. Nye went ahead to the apartment while Pyrie saw his date home. On Sunday evening, Margaret Pyrie returned home from a weekend at a friend's house. Gordon was not at the apartment, but that wasn't unusual. She entered her bedroom and flipped on the electric light. 
immediately she saw a man's bare feet sticking out from under her bed. The sight filled her with such terror that she was unable to move. Her terrified screams brought her sister and brother-in-law from upstairs, bursting into the apartment to see what was going on. The man never moved, and copious amounts of blood made it clear he had been murdered. When the body was pulled from under the bed, it was difficult to tell the identity of the man. His head and face were so mercilessly bludgeoned as to make him unrecognizable. Was it Gordon? No, the torso was too large to be their brother. They were soon able to determine this was the body of his best friend, George Nye Jr. Gordon was missing and it was feared that whatever fiend had done this deed had also done something terrible to Gordon. A search for young Pyrie began with the questioning of his known social group. Monday afternoon, when Miss Violet Schmidt was questioned, she was utterly shocked. She had spent Sunday morning with Gordon. They had gone for ice cream and a movie with Evelyn called Tootsie Wills. Gordon seemed fine at that time. He couldn't possibly have anything to do with an act so heinous. Nevertheless, later that Monday, Pyrie strolled into the police station at Alexander Avenue with Miss Schmidt on his arm. She had convinced him to give himself up. Pyrie confessed he'd killed his friend. At first, he claimed he had no motive but just, quote, felt like it, end quote. According to Pyrie, he and Nye had spent the evening of November 29th with friends, including Miss Schmidt and Miss Johnson, at a party on Riverside Drive. He said alcohol was involved, but that it wasn't a factor in the crime. Nye had planned to spend the night with Pyrie and went to the apartment before him. When Pyrie arrived home, he said Nye was awake and the two talked and drank into the late hours. During the conversation, according to Pyrie, Nye made slurs about the girls they had been with that evening, possibly even alluding that he had been inappropriately intimate with Miss Schmidt. The slur enraged Pyrie, but because Nye was so much bigger and stronger, the youth decided to wait until his friend was asleep to exact revenge. Later, satisfied that Nye was deeply asleep, Pyrie slipped into the kitchen where an axe was kept and brought the weapon back into the room. Nye was lying on his left side facing the wall when Pyrie brought the broadside of the axe down on his skull. The blow caused blood to spew, but didn't kill Nye, who turned over on his back. At this point, Pyrie turned the axe over to the sharp side and began striking the young man in the face. Pyrie's gory confession was printed in New York's Daily News on November 2, 1925. Quote, He didn't die easy, kept rolling round in the bed. The last time I hit him, he sort of arched up, and then he rolled out of the bed on the floor. End quote. The body of his friend hitting the floor seemed to break the spell of the horrific bludgeoning. Pyrie went on to say, quote, There was blood all over the bed, and I got scared. 
I grabbed off the sheets and tried to stop the blood from getting all over everything, end quote. Pyrie then admitted that he tied a burlap bag around the head of Nye to quell the blood from flowing, changed his clothing, and stuffed the body under his sister's bed. He hid the bloody axe in the basement of the apartment and then stole $5.40 out of the pocket of his friend. Pyrie left the house later that morning and picked up Violet and Tootsie to treat them to ice cream and a movie courtesy of that money. Neither girl had any clue anything was amiss. After the early morning entertainment, Pyrie visited a pool hall where he met up with another friend, Bobby Rooney. The young men shot pool, and around 2.30 or 3 that afternoon, they went back to Pyrie's house where they drank wine. All that time, the body of their friend lay stuffed under the bed. Rooney had no idea. He never went out of the kitchen area. Not long afterward, they parted company, and Pyrie wandered about, trying to decide what to do with the body. He admitted he had come back by the apartment later and saw that the police were there. Obviously, his sister had discovered Nye's corpse. News of their son's murder rocked the Nye family. This was the second tragic death of their family. News of their son's murder rocked the Nye family. This was the second tragic death their family had suffered, and the added betrayal of learning the murderer had been George's childhood friend made matters worse. According to the coroner's report, the young man had lingered at least two hours after the savage deed before dying. George Nye Sr. believed the murder had been over money. He was sure that Gordon thought his son already had the money for the Florida trip and murdered him to get that money. For his part, Pyrie showed no remorse over the brutal slaying, nor did he give an explanation as to why he had hidden the body in his sister's room for her to discover a truly cruel and cold-hearted twist. Newspaper accounts hinted that the true motive for the murder was not known and likely never would be. District Attorney John McGeehan tried the case in the Bronx Criminal Court. Pyrie's defense lawyers were William Lyman and George Gordon Battle. Obviously, the defense strategy was to prove insanity on the part of Gordon Pyrie. Alienists of the day scrutinized his facial features for abnormalities. Vague references were made to an unusual number of childhood accidents that might have contributed to mental volatility. The fact that his parents were first cousins was also suggested as evidence to explain his instability. William and Mary Pyrie were indeed first cousins. Their parents, Christina Strachan Pyrie, William's mother, and Andrew Strachan, Mary's father, were siblings. However, neither of Gordon's sisters suffered from abnormality. An article in the Iowa City Press Citizen on December 3, 1925, described the world in which these teenagers lived as follows, quote, Here again is that unreal world of child minds playing at modern-day sophistication, of children 
whose play, not as children, but as the dullest of their inuited elders. And in this topsy-turvy land lived two boys, Gordon Pyrie, 19, known to his neighborhood as a good boy, and George Nye, his pal. They gave baby booze parties and drank like gentlemen. And so, this particular little province in baby Bohemia is thrown into turmoil. Of course, nobody ever dreamed it would end this way, although a good psychologist might have plotted its course. End quote. The case was set for trial in early January 1926. However, Margaret Pyrie, a key witness, was hospitalized with appendicitis and unable to attend court. Therefore, the date was postponed until January 25th. By February 9th, Gordon pleaded guilty to second-degree murder, which saved him from the electric chair. He was sentenced to 20 years to life. His ailing mother, who had come from the sanitarium to see that her boy did not get the death penalty, was relieved. However, Mrs. Nye was inconsolable and cried out that she would have to die to see her boy again. Sisters Margaret and Bessie said their goodbyes to Gordon as he was led away to Sing Sing Prison. He smiled boyishly as if he hadn't a care in the world. When questioned, he stated that he was just happy to have received a life sentence and not the electric chair. In truth, with good behavior, he could be out of prison in 12 years. Pyrie served at least 15 years of the sentence in Auburn State Prison. A World War II draft listed his address as 53 Chestnut Street, Garden City, Nassau, New York, indicating he had been released sometime between the 1940 federal census and 1943 when the draft was dated. By 1948, Gordon had married a divorcee named Lillian Roski Hager Sorvillo, with whom he had two children, Gordon Jr. and Mary. The couple had separated by the 1950 federal census. Lillian was living on Seneca Avenue in Queens, New York, with her children. Gordon Pyrie was living at a boarding house on 217th Street in Queens and working as a bookkeeper for a retail grocer. In June 1949, he married Margaret Boyle. Gordon's mother, Mary Helen Pyrie, passed away in December 1926. His sister, Bessie Ferguson, moved with her husband and family to Oregon by 1930. Sister Margaret married Carl Stern, with whom she had two sons. The death of George Nye Jr. had a lasting impact on his remaining siblings. His elder brother Edwin became a policeman and made a career out of catching the bad guys. Younger brother John became an aerospace technician and eventually moved to Florida. Gordon J. Pyrie died in 1982 in Queens, New York. He was 76. His wife, Margaret Boyle Pyrie, died in 2001. Gordon Pyrie Jr., son of Gordon Pyrie Sr. and Lillian Roski, died on December 3, 2013 in New York. 
Mary Pyrie, their daughter, married Russell Strauss and moved to Pennsylvania. She passed away in January 2022. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Murder in Baby Bohemia, Gordon Pyrie, 1925. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and comment. See the description box for more information about the resources used for this and other episodes. Follow our Facebook page for information and updates on the true crime subjects covered. And join me again on the first of next month for another episode of Old Fashioned Murder and Mayhem.